0: Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack?
1: We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth.
0: And we're here to save it, one podcast at a time.
1: Welcome. Welcome. To another episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World, we are back with the job that we are clearly cut out for, as you have heard if you've been following us this whole time. As you probably <laughs> yes. know, as you probably know, I'm Kenyatta, and with me today, as usual, is uh, my beloved co-host and partner in crime, Jack.
0: Hi, Jack. Hello, Kenyatta, and I love that you called me beloved.
1: I mean, it is all about love, isn't it? In, it is. In,
0: In the end, that's what it boils down to, love. It
1: is. It is. Yeah. You don't always have to like, but love should be the basis.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Well, if we're going to dish out compliments, I'm going to tell you about a compliment I gave to you the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I was talking with my coworker, Tiffany, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about the podcast and I was telling her that one of the things that I really like about our podcast, like a side benefit, I had no idea what happen, is I feel like it's made me a better person. Me too. Working and, and with you on this, it, it has
1: not, and not just that, which is you know a benefit all to itself, but mm-hmm. it's this has caused me to think a whole lot wider about. Yeah you know, the society and the world at large than I used to. So yeah. That too. too. Yeah, that that too definitely I can check off the list. I am growing up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Took almost 50 years, but Yeah.
1: yeah, I'm I'm getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (sighs) Yep. I enjoy it. I'm I'm loving doing this.
1: And you know who else enjoys
0: it? You Randy Watson. Red,
1: <laughs> oh yeah. <my> goodness! <laughs> yeah, he
0: is taking his uh, music off Spotify
1: because <laughs> he believes the children are our future. <laughs> yes,
0: that's right. From the band yeah. Sexual Chocolate,
1: <laughs> and for for those of you who are wondering what the heck you're talking about. This is a character off of the iconic 1990s Eddie Murphy comedy, Coming to America. Yep. Mm. So if you if you've been under a rock since then um, and haven't heard of it, please do go check it out. This is just another example of why Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy. So
0: yeah, actually, wasn't uh, Randy also in the sequel?
1: I think he did have like a brief moment in the sequel. I'm pretty sure. Not. I think I think it was was it at the the wedding at the end or something I think like so, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to go back and watch that again. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I uh, posted a meme about how Randy was taking his music off of Spotify because of Joe Rogan, and a bunch of my boomer friends were commenting on "Good riddance." <laughs> who cares? Who? Who are you? <laughs> That, that gave me a giggle.
1: That was a perfect that was a perfect moment in my day when I saw that. I busted out laughing. I'm like, these guys really don't know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything and someone had to spoil it.
1: Well, you know, it happens.
0: But it's on track for the person that did who they are.
1: I mean, consistency is is, com- is comfort sometimes, yeah. I think. Yeah. So. I'm not mad.
0: You know, that's yeah. him. Hey, I didn't tell him not to. Not ruin it.
1: <laughs> you tell me not to, but that's okay. Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: we talk more. But <laughs> well, that was funny. That was genuinely funny. I was like, look at that. Yeah.
1: Oh goodness. Oh, goodness. yes,
0: yeah, that was that was the funnest part of my work day. That was pretty funny. That,
1: that, that was that was unexpected. I was like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. So. As always, or as usual, put that way, um, we have our WTF moments. And Jack, what is yours
0: for this week? My WTF moment is one that actually, I can't really look at it and laugh about it. It just pisses me off. All right. And that is the news that has come out that Donald Trump had not one, but two drafts of executive orders. To get other parts of the federal government to confiscate voting machines from states that he didn't agree with the outcome of the election. One was from the military, and the other one was from the Department of Homeland Security, both of which is illegal to have done. And apparently his people were told they wouldn't do that because it was illegal. But two of the people that it is the brainchild of is retired Colonel Phil Waldron and retired Linnet. Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and it has my blood boiling.
1: Flynn, huh? Okay. Huh, huh, huh. I...
0: I guess they forgot the part about in their oaths, foreign and domestic, because they've become the domestic part.
1: Oh, no, because they don't think of themselves like that. They think they are righteous patriots.
0: Yeah, they're patriots. No, you're a fucking traitor.
1: You can't tell them that they'll they'll see everybody else on the opposite side as terrorists and traitors, but themselves, no, they're trying to protect the union and protect the integrity Mm -hmm. of our greatest privileges, American citizens.
0: Nah, nah. We're just going to do a cute. That's a great part of our American tradition. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Which then, (laughs) of course, ties into the other part of this, which is completely related, So what have we heard? January 6th, 7th, 8th last year, Trump, oh, these are just patriots. We love them. They're good people. You know, they're great. And then when he realized the optics of it, it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter. That went for quite a while. And then it was was a false flag operation set up by the FBI. And then it, you know, because the real... Insurgent was November 3rd, and this was a peaceful protest. And then it, you know, became the false flag operation of the FBI. And then at his speech on Saturday, he's back around to their good people and he's going to pardon them if he gets reelected. Right. I think somewhere in his lizard brain, it's when I get reelected. But I'm trying not to put that out in the atmosphere. So, right. So, so he's going to pardon the FBI provocateurs that were there to set up his people and cause a riot. He's going to, he's going to pardon them.
1: Mm -hmm. See, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say we're getting some mixed messages from Mr. Trump. I think he really needs to, oh, this is, this is par for the course. I mean, it it makes, it makes you
0: gag. His followers, they're comprehensive use part of their brain you know is just gone and it's got me so pissed i can hardly speak straight <laughs> breathe just breathe you have right? some
1: tea do you have something with alcohol in it I, do. <laughs> I
0: do i may have to go get something some whiskey gin you do what you got to do
1: we are we are american citizens that's and right we're over 21 so we can do what
0: we want to do so get that's you some true. liquor yeah, I never drank before I was 21, ever. Ever. Oh, wait Me a minute. Neither. Both of my parents are no longer with us. I don't have to maintain that lie anymore.
1: <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course you aren't. I'm, I know for certain. If there was one thing the Midwest City class of 91 knew, it was that Kenyatta was not going to drink alcohol. Before I
1: turned 21.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. We knew there was no point of even offering her. Her just saying no game would have made Nancy Reagan cry out of joy. This is the funny part. If I can
1: digress (laughs) for like two seconds. (laughs) Go ahead. Nancy Reagan. Um, When I did turn 21, I made a big old show of going across the street from the boarding house I lived in when I was in college going across mm-hmm. the street to my nearby 7-Eleven, which I might also add for most of my life, I have lived in about a five-mile vicinity of a 7-Eleven. I, I don't know if that's just destiny or what. Anyway.
0: Hard not to. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I go to my 7-Eleven. I pick up something. It might've been like a wine cooler. Like maybe one of the tamest alcohol things they had in there. Maybe with. Was- Yes, you read my mind, I was going to say, the Zima, the watered down Sprite malt liquor-ish, Yeah, something like that, I put it on the counter, I've got my ID ready, I'm smiling, I'm like, I am legal now, do you know she didn't even ask for my ID? And I'm sitting here with it in my hand, like, up, like, at the side, like, staring at her, she didn't even asked for it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me, you I've like, been waiting, I'm like, I've been waiting for this, Yeah, waiting. And you denied me. It was
0: ridiculous. I mean, especially after your boring high school years of not drinking.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, this was a special occasion. Come on. I was robbed.
0: Anyway. Yeah. I used to work at a convenience store that was next to a retirement community. Mm -hmm. And every day, this lady, she was was like 79, 80 years old, would come and buy a six-pack of Budweiser. And she came in the first time. And I was like, ma'am. I'm going to need to see your ID. She was like, really? And I was like, yeah. She was like, hang on. She took off out the door, (laughs) went to her apartment, comes back. She's like, there you go. She's like, you made my year.
1: (laughs) I've been been telling people that on and off here lately. When they ask for mine, I'm like, I look at them like, really? And then the, the times I do bring it in, they could care less. I'm like, you know what? I don't know how to take any of this right now any
0: of it but she she never showed up again without having her id
1: i love it <laughs> yeah
0: anyway thanks oh for uh taking me off the ledge there with some laughter
1: i had to do it because yeah. I, un- I understand but oh golly mm.
0: something about treason that just pisses me off
1: i i would like to think so i, I think it would piss off any, any, anybody who's trying to do the right thing and understands what the right thing is supposed to be. Yeah. So I get it. I get it.
0: Yeah. So I guess let's move on to your WTF of the week.
1: This tickled me because it's directly related to yours oh. from last week. So Disney recently announced a redesign.
0: <laughs> I know what you're talking about.
1: Of Minnie Mouse's outfit. For years, she has been in a little red polka dot dress with a little matching bow. And in honor of Disneyland Paris's 30th anniversary and Women's History Month, which is coming up in March, uh, fashion designer Stella McCartney has redesigned Minnie's outfit to a cute little blue and black polka dot pantsuit with matching bow.
0: A horror. Ugh.
1: Apparently, people have problems with this.
0: Yeah. Jim they, Bob and Michelle Duggar are probably seething with rage, similar to how I was a few minutes ago. Probably.
1: And but they I'm going to go ahead and say they have a lot bigger problems than this. But uh, who think? did? Yeah. Who did make their displeasure vocal, however, is uh, everybody's favorite Candace Owens. Yeah who popped up on one of those random Fox quote-unquote news shows complaining about how it's tearing the very fabric of our society apart.
0: So. That's twice this week she's pissed me off.
1: I mean, that's, that's a
0: constant for me. Made me laugh uncontrollably at her stupidity. She also admitted over Twitter that she's a flat earther. Or not a flat earther, sorry. That the moon landings didn't happen. They faked it. Because you just couldn't do that.
1: I just, there's just something, there's just something even wronger about her. And, and I'm not saying that just because she happens to be an African-American female conservative because there's plenty of those right it's the way she does it that yeah. is it makes me itch like yeah I, I it's hard to articulate there's just something about with the way she talks at people and i'm not going to say to i'm talking i'm saying at mm-hmm. she's incredibly condescending and yeah. i think she thinks of herself as some kind of unicorn and oh. i
0: yeah.
1: got news for her she's not
0: she thinks she's a the genius, smartest person in the room.
1: Oh, yeah. She's this not.
0: Thing, no. And really, she's just a tool. And yeah. Sadly, she doesn't know it. And then the people using her as a tool don't know it. Because all of my super duper conservative friends are always, you know, see, I can't be racist. I post Candace Owens stuff. Or it can't be about race
1: because Candace Owens agrees with it. Right. Something see, to Candace that Candace Owens
0: agrees with it. And it's like, yeah.
1: that's not who you want endorsing anything, unless, of course, you're, you know, that pack, of rabid conservatives that she tries to run with. So, but anyway, she says on, and I don't even care about the name of the show, but on this interview, she says, quote, they're taking all of these things that nobody was offended by and feel they have to get rid of them and destroy them. Because they're bored, they are absolutely bored. They're trying to destroy fabrics of our society, pretending that there's issues. This is so, everybody look over here. Look at Minnie Mouse. Don't look at inflation. Look at Minnie. The world is going forward because we've got her in a pantsuit. Never mind that we can't go to the grocery store and buy a piece of bacon unless you've got $30 in your pocket. Yeah. All I can say is kill it with fire. I'm so sick of her and her ilk that. Focus on things like this. And it's so ironic that she says that changing up and evolving I- iconic things like this is, serves, or ser- is serving as a distraction when, like you were saying last week, them focusing on these kinds of things is the distraction. Yeah. So, like with her, it ticked me off when I read it and I had a and thing about it. I'm, this is par for the course for her. I mean, you know, yeah, consistency. Yep. But like where, where is it going to end? What else are they going to have a problem with tomorrow? And or I have
0: no idea.
1: Two hours from now or next I mean, week or whatever the case may be.
0: Maybe the Charmin Bears and those commercials.
1: Dear heavens, it's gonna be like, you know, they're gonna go ahead and put pants on the bears and they'll be like, no, oh, yeah. You're defying Mother Nature and blah blah blah, or You know, you might as well just bring a rabbit in the commercial or some crap like that. And,
0: and you know, the thing is, none of these people are pissed that Donald's been running around without pants his entire time. I mean, you know, if you want something to be upset about, try that.
1: Try that. But no, you're getting mad at M&M's and Disney. um, Speaking of
0: M&M's, there have been some great memes with Tucker Carlson and Eminem's over the last week, I have enjoyed every one of them.
1: I've seen a couple. I, I have def- definitely chuckled. I'm like, mm, I don't. I guess for him, any attention is good attention. So I, I don't know that this is necessarily bothering <laughs> him. But and my God,
0: <laughs> the mm. the <laughs> the story on the onion that I sent you earlier that oh, yeah. ties into this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna read it maybe I'll uh, post it on the uh, Facebook page or something yeah the, the people view it on their own time but
1: yeah yeah it definitely ties into these two yeah this topic in last week so but yeah I just I'm, I I honestly and I was just discussing with a friend the other day what you and I were talking about last week about everybody is probably a degree or so more crazy. Than they used to be. Yeah. But we're all on the same level of crazy. So for most of us, for most of us, it doesn't look any different. It's just heightened. But for these people that yeah. that yeah. make a big deal out of stuff like this, yeah, they've shot off on the stratosphere. They've gone off the graph. I don't know what's going on
0: there. <laughs> yeah. The good news is we'll never have to worry about losing our WTF segment. I don't think so. I think I, this is. Got gears of material.
1: I, 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 I tend to agree. And I was thinking about that earlier when we were talking about what we were going to do today. And I'm like, that's sad that we actually have choices.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> and,
1: and what we can include in our WTF portion. What in the world?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, goodness. Well, are you ready to educate me? On this important person that I, I don't know about,
1: I am, and I'm. It is a pleasure for me to do so. And this um, happens to be our second entry
0: mm-hmm. in
1: our Black Histories, American History series. And last, uh, last episode, Jack introduced us to Bass Reefs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Today, I'm going to talk about a lady that hails from Mississippi. Okay, and to put. Her story in context, first, I'll just give you a little history. The 15th Amendment, Mm -hmm. which stated that voting rights cannot be denied to anyone, regardless of race, was passed in 1870. And this law applied just to men until the passage of the 19th Amendment in 1920, women's suffrage, Mm -hmm. which gave all of us ladies the right to vote, supposedly. However, down south, lawmakers kept As many blacks from voting as possible, generally in the form of uh, systemic segregationist laws called Jim Crow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and numerous voter suppression tactics, such as literacy tests, poll tax Mm -hmm. was called grandfather clauses, which meant you couldn't vote unless your grandfather had voted.
0: Oh, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. Uh, probably where that term comes in. For the rest of society when Mm we use it. See, we don't need CRT. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Honestly, I I didn't realize that. And you said that. And I'm like, how many times have I said they grandfathered someone in? Holy Mm -hmm. shit. (laughs) Yep. That's where it comes from. And
1: to to add to those particular tactics, generally whites uh, used just outright intimidation and violence. Pretty Mm -hmm. much, you know, threats and actually putting hands on people to keep them from registering to vote. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So by the early 1960s, roughly 5% of Black Mississippians were registered to vote, even though they were legally able to. Mm -hmm. So there was a woman who in the summer of 1962 attended a meeting of the student nonviolent coordinating committee otherwise known as sncc that is the, that's that how you say the acronym they,
0: they should have thought that went out a little more <laughs> it was the 60s i mean
1: but anyway and it was at this meeting that she learned at the age of 44 that she had the right to vote mm-hmm. that's how thoroughly White Mississippians and white southern lawmakers kept that right and that knowledge from black citizens at that time.
0: Holy crap! I mean, just I mean, at this point, nothing shocks me anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that lady was Fannie Lou Hamer,
1: and Mm -hmm. she was born October 6th, 1917, in Rueville, Mississippi. She was the youngest out of 20 children born to James. Mm Mm-hmm. Born to James and Luella Townsend. However, she had to drop out of school at the age of 12 in sixth grade to help work the fields as her parents were sharecroppers. Right. So she got married uh, in 1944 to a man named Perry Hamer, and they also were sharecroppers. She happened to be the only one that worked the, the plantation that can read and write, so she also served as a timekeeper. So in 1961, she was having some what we delicately call female trouble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Had to go in for an operation to remove a tumor um, on her uterus. What happened, though, without her consent, was a hysterectomy. And this was. Of course. Yeah. This unfortunately was. um, under the umbrella of what they call forced sterilization of black women mm-hmm. as a way to control the black population. And it, would, it happened so often in Mississippi at the time, it was tastelessly referred to as a Mississippi appendectomy. So Ugh. because she was unable to have kids of her own, her and her husband ended up adopting two daughters. So By the next year, 1962, when she had attended this meeting of SNCC, the very next day, she and 17 others traveled about 30 miles or so over to Indianola, Mississippi, to register to vote.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: However, only one, her, and one other person were even allowed into the clerk's office to take the literacy test. Mm -hmm. So... Unfortunately, they didn't pass the literacy test. And she was quoted as saying later, I know about as much about de facto law as a horse knows about Christmas Day. And I'm going to go ahead and say that holds true for most of us. Right. So but of course, that was the point of the test. They would ask questions that most people would not know and claimed they could do this because they had every right to guard the sanctity of who was able to vote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the way home that evening, the group was harassed by the police who stopped their bus and fined them $100 on the trumped up charge that the bus was, quote, too yellow. So by the time she got back home, the owner of the plantation told her she'd better stop what she was doing or she was going to get fired. And she said, I cannot do that. And so the man fired her and her husband. Uh, But her husband had to stay on until the harvest and the plantation owner went ahead and confiscated much of their property, their furniture and things to hold until he got some money he thought he was owed. So the family eventually moved to a nearby town with very little possessions. And one evening she had even found she had gone out and found that someone had shot her home up. No one got hurt. But she knew those were meant for her. Mm-hmm. And she was quoted as saying, the only thing they could do to me was kill me. And it seemed like they have been trying to do that a little bit at a time ever since I could remember. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. So in the summer of 63, in this whole time, even with threats on her life and the other things that were happening, she, was con- she continued to work with SNCC. And also the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC, that uh, Dr. King happened to be the head of at the time. Mm -hmm. She continued to work with those organizations to help uh, Blacks register to vote. And during a trip down to Charleston, South Carolina for a registration program, uh, Ms. Hammer and other Black women were arrested for sitting in a whites-only bus station at a little rest stop in a place called Winona, Mississippi. So, again, police trumped some stuff up, physically assaulted these ladies, especially Miss Hamer, took them to jail, and she and the other woman were beaten ba- badly, so badly, that left Miss Hamer with lifelong injuries uh, with a blood clot in her eye that caused some vision damage and also uh, scars and a lot of physical pain that she carried pretty much for the rest of her
0: life. But she you continued know, on. You know, can you, one of the things I... I'm glad of is you just don't see police trumping up fake charges on black Americans anymore. We've outgrown that. It's amazing
1: how law enforcement has evolved to that point.
0: Past that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just you just don't see that anymore.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean Hmm. it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Could hold it in, could you?
0: Yeah, I you know I'm a smart ass. I couldn't even maintain the smart ass for that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. mm. Anyhoot, again, despite the harassment that she endured, continued, of course, and of course, she's dealing now with physical um, compromises, but she continues on to to fight for blacks to have the opportunity to vote. So in 1964, she helped to co-found the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was a direct challenge to the local Democratic Party, which of course was all white. Right. So uh, Ms. Hamer and other members of the party traveled to the Democratic National Convention that year. Mm-hmm. I believe it was in California that year. And they were arguing, arguing to be recognized as the official delegation in order to give fair representation to the citizens of Mississippi, where approximately 20% of the citizens there were black. How can you have you know, a, uh, a group of, of all white fairly represent their citizenry. Guess what? You can't. And they never intended to. Well, oh, no. yeah, but she and the people that put together this party intended that to happen. So she got up and tended to give testimony in front of the credentials committee asking for uh, delegates to be placed from her party. Good old President Lyndon Johnson said, hmm, can't have that happen because the convention was being broadcast live, as Uh it generally is, I guess. He decided to have a preemptive televised press conference right when she went on. So what she had to say wouldn't get any airtime. But fortunately, Uh most of the major networks did re-air her speech later on that evening. So her message including her description of what happened to her Mm -hmm. the year before all of that was aired to American citizens all over the country. And they were Mm -hmm. able to see, they were able to see and hear what was happening. And there's no more turning a blind eye or for what it was at that point, I'll put it that way. No more acting like this stuff didn't happen, so on and so forth. And she said in part of her speech, she says, is this America? the land of the free and the home and the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hooks because our lives be threatened daily because Mm -hmm. we want to live as decent human beings in America. So even with that speech, unfortunately, her delegation didn't win any seats, but her speech was part of the move that finally pushed into law, the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, her, her speech was just a part of it, of course, but it was that integral. Yeah. Say it for me. Integral. Thank you. It was that integral in, in, um, no, you're fine. That, that was the word. (laughs) (laughs) It was that important for people to see and hear what was happening and what needed to happen, what needed to be better. So, of course, part of the Voting Rights Act was um, introducing legislation that uh, banned those stupid laws like the literacy mm-hmm. tests and the grandfather clauses and things like that. The sad thing is, is that in the in, in recent years, of course, very important parts of that right, that Voting Rights Act has been gutted. Yeah. And that's actually something if you want to, you might want to look up and see exactly
0: what's what's been happening. So. Yeah, that's enabled a lot of these state legislatures to pass the shit laws they've passed in Mm -hmm. Um, 2021. Real quick, you mentioned somebody who I take a lot of umbrage with, and that's LBJ, because a lot of times he gets held as a person who, because he did sign the Voting Rights Act and the... um, Civil Rights Act. Sorry, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm, my brain mm-hmm. stopped for a minute. He did sign those into law, but everyone forgets that the first time the Civil Rights Act was proposed was in the 1950s and he filibustered it for like eight hours. Mm-hmm. And I have, I'll be honest, I have never actually looked to verify 100% that he has said this, but I have heard it multiple times from different people that when the Civil Rights Act, you know, was getting passed, there was a meeting with a bunch of Democrats, and he said something along the lines of, if we pass this, we'll get the N-words to vote Democratic for the next 50 years. <laughs> so I can't 100% say he said that, Right. Mm -hmm. And I've never actually investigated to see if it's true. Mm -hmm. But knowing he filibustered (laughs) the Civil Rights Act the first time and he was from Texas Mm -hmm. and based on his age at that time, it wouldn't surprise me if he did.
1: It wouldn't surprise me either. And it didn't surprise me that he went ahead and signed it into law when he did, because that was nothing but a political move, period. Yeah.
0: And let's not forget either that LBJ was a serial sex predator. Oh, now that I wasn't aware of. I don't know. it he wasn't raping His sex predatory thing was this is going to be rather adult. So if kids are listening cover their ears for the next minute.
1: Yeah, oh, goodness, I'm cover my ears.
0: <laughs> Apparently LBJ was well endowed. It was named Jumbo Ooh. and as a power move when people wouldn't go his way, he'd whip Jumbo out. Wow. Yeah.
1: That is about the most 12-year-old boy thing I can think of.
0: <laughs> I mean, it Worked, he became president, I guess. (laughs) I mean, was he doing it before he became president or after? Uh, Apparently that was a lifelong thing for him. Good heavens. Ugh. That's
1: that's yeah, that it's it's disturbing, but not entirely surprising. But I'm not gonna say why that is. So
0: (laughs) that's that's a whole other podcast.
1: Yowser. And like I said, just from when I when I researched Miss Hamer for a project I had last year and I find that out, I found that out about President Johnson preempting her speech like that. I'm like, that's some old petty childish stuff. Like at no point did you think that what she was saying was going to get out? Like you think that blocking her live speech was going to make a difference? No, because things were already in motion as it was in her speech Mm -hmm. and what she had to say just added to it. So there was already momentum going that he wasn't able to stop. Yeah. And like like you were saying, yeah, it was political. He thought he would get black people behind him. But I think there was more pressure from other other areas than just that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, caused him to go ahead and put that pen in hand and sign off on that. Which, for what it's worth, it's done a world of difference for whatever well, reasons, but...
0: Yeah, if his reasons were shitty, he still signed it, mm-hmm. and it was the right thing to do,
1: mm-hmm. even if I he
0: did it for the wrong reasons.
1: That's how I feel about the Emancipation Proclamation, but that's a different story. Anyway,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so the Voting Rights Act, um, it right in, in its immediate, immediate aftermath... Um, it bolstered participation of Black Mississippians well across the South, but in Mississippi specifically, the mm-hmm. number of uh, Blacks registered to vote jumped approximately ten times, from about twenty eight thousand to two hundred eighty
0: thousand.
1: And in that, same, mm-hmm, in that I same, in that same
0: time, and sad, yeah, because of why? <laughs> <laughs> but
1: and hey. in that same time frame, and the number of Black uh, elected officials. Across the South, more than doubled from seventy-two to one hundred and fifty-nine, following the nineteen sixty-six elections. So, in later on that year, or later on that year, Miss Hamer herself ran for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives to challenge mm-hmm. the then incumbent uh, Democrat Jamie Witten, who was seeking a thirteenth term. Let that sink in.
0: That doesn't surprise me at all. Hmm.
1: She knew her chances of winning were slim, but as she explained to a reporter, I'm showing people that a Negro can run for office, which was her point. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, unfortunately, she didn't win, but all because basically the Democratic Party wouldn't even allow her name on the
0: ballot. But her Mrs. Does make it hard to get votes.
1: True. But her Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party organized A symbolic election and brought out roughly 60,000 Blacks who participated and cast symbolic votes for her in what they called a freedom ballot. Mm -hmm. So Ms. Hamer attempted to run for office two more times in the uh, consecutive years, again in 1967, where she was disqualified by election officials. And then four years later, she tried for a state Senate seat and unfortunately wasn't successful then. But Later on, past those attempts to hold office, of course, she continued to stay busy. Mm-hmm. She established what was called Freedom Farms, which was a community-based rural and economic development project. And it was, it's interesting because part of it was they would raise hogs and other animals, livestock animals, mm-hmm. and give them out to farmers to breed and raise in mm-hmm. order to bolster them and uh, and, and help them economically later about a year later she uh founded what was called the freedom farm cooperative where uh collectively they bought up land that they could uh then have turn ownership over to other blacks and they could farm that land Mm -hmm. and they she had many donors for that particular organization which included actor and singer harry belafonte Mm -hmm. she was able to Purchased over 640 acres of land and and launched a co-op store, a boutique, and a sewing enterprise. She also also was involved in making sure that about 200 units of low-income housing were built, many Mm of which still exist in that town in Mississippi today. Unfortunately, the Freedom Farm Collective no longer exists. But Mm -hmm. one thing that she did help found that still does exist is the National Women's Political Caucus. So she stayed busy, no Mm -hmm. doubt about it, right up until uh, she passed away, which unfortunately was in 1977 from breast cancer. But she stayed busy and she stayed involved. And she made sure that her people had the right to do what every American
0: had the right to do. I imagine that she probably is the type of person that even on her deathbed was calling people, make sure you do this, make sure you do this, remember to do this, do this. Because she had a an internal fire, <laughs> that mm-hmm. even dying, mm-hmm. still probably burned for a good half hour after that.
1: I believe it. I agree. And I don't know if you've ever heard, just in general, a quote um, that goes around that says, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh-huh. That Did she her. invent that? That was her. It is cool. on her tombstone.
0: That's awesome. Um, it is. Let me let me ask this mm-hmm. because as often happens, people that I don't even want to say activists because she was beyond that. Um, you know, but people like her and MLK, at the time, any wall that could be placed in front of them, any hardship was put there. And then 30 years later, all of a sudden, everybody loves them. So does she get some sort of special recognition in Mississippi now? Are schools named after her? You know, do you, I mean, you may not have even looked at that for that.
1: And you know what? Not that I've seen. And and like I said, I did. I had done some research, you know, last year about her. Mm -hmm. And it was for someone that isn't, quite as well known. There was a wealth of information about her. And do Mm -hmm. you know I've I have not seen anything in particular about any any honors that's been bestowed to her. Mm -hmm. You know, either while she was live or even after her death. I don't think that I've seen any anything specific, which is sad. Yeah. Because she was like a force of nature really to me. Yeah. So
0: we should.
1: Oh wait a minute. Breaking news. Huh? Uh, Interesting. So apparently there was an anonymous hundred thousand dollar donation to the University of Mississippi African-American Studies program with a scholarship under her name. Oh, that's this something. Ju- this was just reported yesterday. Well, that is probably the first thing I've ever seen in something specifically honoring her. hmm. Interesting.
0: But yes. You know what we need to do? And Hmm. I honestly have no idea how to go about doing this. We need to start a movement to get President Biden to give her a. Now I'm going to screw this word up. Posthumous. Posthumous. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I win. I win this one. (laughs) We don't play words with friends or whatever that not, new one is <laughs> none of that none. Um, to to give her a uh, presidential medal of freedom because she's deserving i
1: would think so i would love to see that happen i would love to see it i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and you could say that for her and probably at
0: least oh. a dozen other people oh honestly I'm, probably multiple dozens of people
1: and do you uh, know you gotta you start know.
0: somewhere so might as well be her you do.
1: And, and yes, I think she'd be a fantastic candidate to start off something like that. Most definitely. As a matter of fact, and I believe, I think it's going to, uh, I want to share the link in our show notes as well as on our social media pages. There's a fantastic spread by, let me see who did it, uh, The Undefeated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they have a fantastic uh almost like a slideshow presentation of the 44 most influential black Americans. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: while that sounds like they're going to be talking about the ones that we hear about most often, I've, I've been through it and that's not the case. Mm. There are some people in there that aren't necessarily that well-known. And I thought it was, I I imagine it was incredibly difficult to just pick 44, Mm -hmm. but they, they did some good picks and they have some mini profiles of each person. I want to make sure that we share that before the month is out because I think that's a wonderful resource to uh yeah, yeah, to definitely. learn something
0: new. Definitely.
1: So oh, sure. but yes, that is the story of Miss Fanny Lou Hamer. So
0: yeah, she mm. is an impressive person. Mm-hmm. And to quote the great WWE wrestler Mick Foley, she had an abundance of testicular fortitude. Indeed, indeed,
1: because I can't, I can't imagine having hands laid on me repeatedly and still wanting to get up and go do what they were coming for me for. I'm not saying I'm a wimp. I'm not saying I'm soft, but damn it.
0: I I can't. (laughs) I can't imagine. I give up when I can't get the gas weed eater to start on the third pull. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I don't have a ta- Have what it takes to do what she did. Like I said, it's, it's
1: impressive that the, yeah. I, mean, like I said not just her, but many that were like her, especially across the South in those times. Yeah. We're literally taking your life in your hands just to demand the same rights as everybody else.
0: I, yeah. I yeah. It kind of ties in with originally... Started This whole thing with us was me asking you to be on my other podcast, because I wanted to hear people's stories, because people's stories, doesn't matter who you are, they're important, they're unique. And then when you hear something like this, somebody whose story is just extraordinary, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, not to discount anybody else's, but she clearly had a passion and a fire inside of her that even though she knew it wasn't going to benefit her she still full charged went into it mm-hmm. and that's important
1: yeah, it is and it's interesting that you say that because here recently in the month of january you've had so many notable figures pass away that
0: ugh. It's been rough. Good God. It's
1: been rough. One of those happened to be a uh, fashion icon, Andre Leon Talley, who was the former editor of Vogue, mm-hmm. as well as being a pioneer in the fashion industry at large for well over 30 years. And I was aware of him. And that was a shocker to hear about him. Mm-hmm. And along the, along the way during you know his years being active because in the last few years, unfortunately, there were some some not so not so generous things that had happened to him. So mm-hmm. the last few years of his life were not, they weren't as they weren't as comfortable for him as they should have been, I'll put it that way. Okay. For 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 the path that he sowed for other black people to come into the fashion industry, which of mm-hmm. course was notoriously white for many, many, many years. He was one of the pioneers that helped kick the doors open for uh, stylists and, you know, editors and, and um, folks in higher up executive levels at magazines and of course uh, models and things like that. He helped break those barriers down for a lot of mm-hmm. them in the industry. And I think I was watching his documentary the other day and something to the effect that was said, I wasn't thinking about being a pioneer. I was just doing what I loved.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if I could help someone along the way, that's what I did, but that wasn't my primary purpose. I was right. doing it and I was involved with it because that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think with someone like Ms. Hamra and a lot of other people, not just in the civil rights era or civil rights activists, but whatever field they happen to be. in, I think it ends up being that they're doing something that they're passionate about and they love it. And Mm -hmm. if they can help somebody along the way, by all means, I don't necessarily think that's their primary focus. That may sound bad, Mm -hmm. but it's not because they don't, I don't think at the time that they do what they're doing, that they realize that they are paving the way until time passes. And yeah, they have people coming to them. You inspired me or, you know, I'm, I'm such a, a dedicated fan or whatever the case may be. I don't think they necessarily had it in their heads as they
0: were doing it, that
1: Mm -hmm. that's
0: what they were doing. Well, a a great example of that is Nichelle Nichols, of course, Lieutenant Aurora from Mm -hmm. Star Trek. Mm -hmm. After the first season, she was wanting to quit the show. And she uh, met uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And she told him that. And he told her, you can't because you're inspiring young black girls. You can't, you have to stay on the show. So she did. And, you know, she was a great, great actress and everything, but she stayed on the show and fast forward years later to, uh, I believe it was the first female black astronaut. Mm -hmm. One of the first three anyway, maybe not the, uh, the first one, but Top three. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she met Nichelle Nichols and told her that her being on Star Trek is what inspired her and put the seed to in her to be an astronaut. And who knows, you know, what time frame of Star Trek it was that she started watching. Maybe she didn't start watching until season two. And had she left, she wouldn't have seen her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a, she a- she didn't do it to make people want to be astronauts, but she did stay after it was pointed out to her. She did stay, but she was just an actress that wanted a paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's where it started from. And I think, mm-hmm. and I think, like I said, especially when you talk about African-Americans and the creative arts, because that's such a subjective place to be in anyway. And when yeah. I think about a lot, cause that's kind of like where my passions lay at, and when I think about certain notable figures in that that industry, whether it's visual or fashion or dance or art or singer, whatever the case might be, I think about mm-hmm. those kinds of people and they just started out with a passion and yep. then, like you know, in the case of miss Nichols, it it almost was overwhelming until she realized there was a greater purpose than just that mm-hmm. and did she decided to keep going or in, in the case of, you know, Mr. Talley, he did it because he loved it. And if he did influence somebody or did help and there were instances that he said, yes, I actively did this, but he said as much that I wasn't necessarily my primary goal. And again, it mm. may sound off, but I understand that while trying to make a way, not just for yourself, but others like you, it takes an incredible amount of Like you said, testicular fortitude Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: strength. But at the same time, in some cases, there wasn't um, an understanding that you could only go so far and still Mm -hmm. be accepted in the field that you want to be in. So there's that balance. How far can I push to bring people in behind me before I push too far? And I think a lot of these people had to contend with that as well.
0: Yeah. It's so. it's gotta be mentally exhausting to continually, you know, metaphorically have to scale walls mm-hmm. nonstop.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you scale one, you think, well, maybe, and then you look and it's like, oh shit, there's another one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, to to have to do that sort of repeatedly, repeatedly. And that's just gotta be mentally exhausting.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you know, if if you're lucky, you might get to a point in your life where you don't have to scale as steep of walls, or you don't have to scale as many, but you've mm-hmm. been doing it for so long, you think something's wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? what the hell? There's no wall here. What, what, what? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I yeah, have I no know. time to
1: relax. Let me go find something else to do. And I, I get that. Yeah. Like like in Miss Hamer's case, I get that. You know, she was physically and mentally beaten, but she wasn't broken. She kept going. Yeah, You know, and I'm sitting here fussing because, you know, I twisted an ankle, but <laughs> <laughs> right. like a, be, at being able to get up and keep going and keep pushing for these rights that were that that we're all entitled to, even though, you know, like physically it pains her. That's just
0: that's remarkable yeah. to me. I get and like <clears throat> irritated when the Wi-Fi goes out and I have to go reboot the router first world problems <laughs> i know
1: oh boy but yeah that, like these these kind i i like our first episode we did this last uh, last week i enjoyed that very much and i'm, I'm enjoying this i'm enjoying reading about stuff and revisiting some other things so yeah
0: and learning, if not, you know i love history learning about yeah. people like that i just love but then the significance of that person makes it even better
1: it really does. So yes, that's what I have for you and our listening audience this week.
0: Well, that was a, so, That was great. I'm, thank you. I'm glad you picked her. That was fantastic to learn about somebody with that amount of testicular fortitude.
1: She was something um, else.
0: Similar to last week, someone that deserves her story to be, you know, put on film or a TV show. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think a film would do it justice.
1: I would love to see her story get put yeah. up on, on the screen. But they'd have to do it right. They would have to. Yeah. And, it, and this the same thing I said about you know Bass Reeves on last episode. They better do that series right. Don't don't half-ass it. Don't leave yeah. nothing out. Don't sugarcoat this.
0: Don't nope. don't do it. You are correct. You are correct. But, so yeah. Hopefully, uh, my person next week can live up to the first two weeks.
1: I bet he, I, I believe that they will. I, I, I did so. take a pee. I didn't want to spoil anything, <laughs> so I, I did look this person up, but I didn't research. I was like, okay, let me stop. I just want to get a baseline understanding so I can be ready for next episode. So yes, yeah.
0: We're I have no talking doubts. about Lionel Richie.
1: <laughs> Hello. Is it me you're looking for?
0: (laughs) No, seriously, though, Lionel (laughs) Richie. Um, he is an impressive artist, he is. I think people realize that
1: just because he managed to make a slew of very, very, very popular songs during the 80s. Let's we're not gonna count them out, we're just not, we're just not because we're talking about the fact that he had. You know, he was with a group before he even went solo. A lot of people, yeah. You know, when he came out as a solo artist, I didn't know that he had been with the Commodores. It wasn't until I got older, right? Yeah, um, I was like, he's with the Commodores. I went got I went to my parents' album collection. And I was like, oh,
0: oh. <laughs> yeah. He's got to be the only artist that has top ten hits in R and B, pop, and country because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he wrote a lot of Kenny Rogers songs.
1: Yes, and then, him and that's Kenny my were friends,
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like like they loved each other, kind of friends. <laughs> Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> that's right. Oh dang it! Why'd you say that? <laughs>
1: that's a I thread. can
0: <laughs> never. No, it's the Saturday Night Lights Skit from the '80s. That's huh? when Joe Piscopo was on and Eddie Murphy <laughs> and. They were doing uh, Stevie Wonder duets, and Joe Pesci was doing Frank Sinatra, and they were singing Ebony and Ivory.
1: Why does that sound so familiar? Oh, my gosh. And
0: so, like, the first part with Eddie Murphy doing the Stevie Wonder part was the actual song, and then the second part is uh, Frank Sinatra, and he his lyrics are not the song, <laughs> Okay,
1: that's, this sounds real familiar. I got to go look that up. <laughs>
0: Keep in mind, folks, this was the 80s, and this isn't me. I'm quoting. He sang it as, you are black and I am white. You are blind as a bat and I have sight. My amigo, Negro, let's not fight.
1: Oh, my God. It's horrible. <laughs> I got to go look that.
0: And he's... Sounds like Frank Sinatra.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Editor Jack from the Future here. I need to make a quick correction. I actually had it reversed in the Saturday Night Live skit. It was Frank Sinatra making an album doing duets with other musicians. And I kind of have the wording of the uh, version of the song different. But it's been 30-plus years, so forgive me. And if you want to watch it, we'll have the video link posted in the show notes. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming.
1: Yeah, I, I vaguely, vaguely remember something like, I don't remember the lyrics, but I vaguely remember the setup of that skit. But I definitely need to go find it. So.
0: And anytime <laughs> I hear Ebony and Ivory, that's where my brain goes. I can't oh help it. Gosh. Gen X, folks. That's funny. We raised ourselves. We're latchkey kids. And we're screwed up adults because of it. I was there (laughs) when MTV premiered. (laughs) Right? (laughs) When they played music. When they
1: played nothing but music. Yeah. Everything but Billie Jean. But, you know, that's another story.
0: I have to see if that gets on YouTube. We'll put it on the Facebook page. (laughs) Mm. That's funny. It is. (laughs) You couldn't make that skit now.
1: (laughs) Oh no, there's many things you can't make now,
0: (laughs) but yeah, I guess fortunately, the version of the n word they used was the more appropriate version. (laughs) I guess I don't sure how to phrase that, but anyway, I
1: think by that time when you said when you used that version, it was more of a of jokey, right? A jokey kind of term. Or yeah. if it was one black person to another, it was not an insult, but it was almost like a, a warning shot across the bow. Right. So I'll put it in those terms. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> to be fair, you used a quote earlier that used the same version. So. Yes.
1: <laughs> but that was an actual quote from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> This is the 80s we're talking about here. But it was Frank Sinatra, so... Okay, it works out. It works out. It works out. <laughs> it works out. And with that, <laughs> bye.
0: <No>. <laughs> <laughs> we're done here. <laughs> Ooh, boy, <laughs> good, stuff, good stuff. Oh, man. <laughs> well, hopefully we still have listeners after I repeated that version of the song.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be all right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, once again mm. we're right around the hour, Mark. So I guess we should go ahead and sign off. Anything else you want to say? Um
1: no not 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 nothing that comes to mind which
0: is really, really unusual. So
1: I better take that moment while I can.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one.
1: Yes, indeed. Everybody take care. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook, under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com, slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedocproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of HyperFocus Podcasts.